uh, before moving to the passage this morning, reading the passage, I'd like to talk to our young ones and tell you what this passage is going to be about, what the sermon's going to be about. So, young ones, if I was to say that today we're going to talk about worth-ship, what do you think we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about worth-ship, which means we're going to talk about what does that sound like? It's a weird word. Does it sound like another word? Worthship. It's kind of a hard, fun word to say, though. Worthship. Worthship. Just keep saying it faster and faster. Worthship. 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 Worship. Worship. We're going to be talking about worship, and that it comes from this old word, worthship, uh, that actually is really helpful to understand what worship is about. Worship is this thing of like what. What's this, what's worth to you? What, what has worth to you? Like, think about your life. Like, what is something that is worth to you more than anything? I know this kid, when this kid, I'm, no names. When this kid was really, really young, like baby, this kid loved their pacifier. I mean, worshipped it. Like, the pacifier was everything. This person needed the pacifier and when this person got big enough to where this person, <laughs> being really careful, when this person uh, was walking and talking with the pacifier, we thought it's probably time to get rid of the pacifier, probably time to say goodbye, because I know this other kid uh, who I grew up with, uh, I'm not going to name his name, but um, this guy also worshipped his pacifier, and like his teeth ended up looking like this. I'm like, I don't want my kids to look like my brother. Um, so uh, I thought we got to get rid of this pacifier. But here's the thing: this kid, this kid, did not want to give up the pacifier. Uh, we, we tried to get, we tried to exchange and trade uh, candy, uh, vaca- like vacations, like we'll go on a trip, money, and the kid didn't want any of it. All this kid wanted was the pacifier. The pacifier was worth more than anything else. It was worth more than the world. Okay. And that can sound like we can hear that and be like, little babies, little kids are so funny. That's so silly. That's ridiculous. Except we're all like that little kid. So think about, think about like what is worth to you more than anything? Like what's that thing in your life that's worth more to you than anything else? Is it toys? Is it your stuff? Is it, it, it I don't know, is it your happiness, your comfort, you being okay always? Is it, young ones, is it your success? Is it your grades? Do you think about your grades more than anything else and you've got to get good grades? Is it video games? Is it sports? Like, we're all like that little kid that has this pacifier thing that like, oh, that's so silly. That's like, that's what you're obsessed with. We're all like that. We've all got something like that. And then at the end of the book of Romans, which is here we are, at the end of the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle is going to say, you know what the one thing that is worth all of our worship is God and God alone. Only God is actually worth our worship. And here's what the world is going to do, young ones. The world is going to hold out all kinds of stuff to you. The world is going to have all this, all kinds of stuff that says, this is what you should give your life to. This is what's more important than anything else in the world. And here's the thing, kids, you may get the world. You may grow up and you may actually get like the world and everything you've ever, want, everything you've ever wanted and it won't be enough. And if all you have is the world, at the end, you will have nothing. That's what the world holds out to you. Is it worth it to get the whole world and get nothing at the end? 
Paul tells us God holds himself out to us. That God holds out his son, Jesus Christ, who lived for you, who died for you, and who rose from the dead in order to give you himself and share in his glory forever. Listen, as a Christian, last thing, kids, as a Christian, you may lose the world. Like, you may not get anything you really want in the world, but if you have Jesus, you will get God, and you will get heaven forever. Isn't it worth it? Isn't God worth it? That's what our worship, our worship is all about, is saying Jesus is worth it. Here we are in our series in the book of Romans, young and old, for the last Sunday. This is it. And then we will never talk about Romans again. Um, So please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 to 20. And then there's more greetings, which which we did last time. So we'll, we'll drop down to verses 25 through 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, here we are. The end of Romans. And what the end of Romans does is it brings us back full circle to the beginning of Romans. Uh, there, there are all these bud, buzzwords here uh, that you, you can look up, and they, they'll, they're there in Romans 1, 2. Yes, and there is one big concept that's at the beginning and that's here at the end, and it's a big contrast. So Paul, here's Paul. He ends Romans with this doxology. It's all about worshiping God. But, do you remember, Paul began Romans with the problem of idolatry, false worship of false gods. He has come full circle. These few verses, they're full, they're full of reasons uh, for why Paul praises God. He praises God for his gospel. He praises God for his power, his revelation, for its effect on people, the, the gospel's effect on people. He praises God for God just being God for himself, for, for his providence, for his eternalness for his wisdom, praise him for his son. But the crux of the praise is right there at the beginning in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. So Paul ends Romans praising God for being a strengthening God to his people. And we want to ask, okay, so okay, so have we come full circle? Is that the answer to the problem of idolatry at the beginning? Yes. Because if you remember Romans 1, which we did like two years ago, Uh, or if you read Romans 1 in one go, uh, you don't take all this time from when we started, 
Your ears would be ringing. Your ears are ringing with Paul's warning at the beginning of Romans. The big problem in the world, the big problem out there, and then we've got to say, and the big problem in here in the church, facing the church, facing every individual in the church, is this idolatry where mankind has exchanged the glory of the Creator for the glory of the creature. The glory of the Creator for the glory of the created. And in exchange for worshiping God as Creator, mankind chooses to worship himself as God. Paul asks, you know, why is this? And he says, it's not out of ignorance. You know, it's not this, ah, man, that people at the end are going to say something like, it's not this, if I'd only known you were real God, I would have loved you and worshiped you. And Paul says that's not the case. Paul says it's not that everyone should know God. Paul says what what we know is everyone does know God and what he's like, and we know what we're like. And that we've not only fallen short of God, we've rejected Him. We know that to be the truth, but we've suppressed it. Mankind has suppressed the truth and exchanged the truth about God, the truth about mankind, the truth about this world. We've exchanged it for a lie. We've exchanged the truth for my truth. For the truth of the individual. Whatever the individual says truth is. This is why. Why? Why has this happened? Why this exchange for ourselves in the place of God? It's because, Paul says, we have found God to be lacking. Our lives are lacking, so God is lacking. Our lives are lacking, so God is not to be trusted. And if God's not to be trusted, He's not to be worshipped. He's undeserving of our worship. But we have found ourselves to be trustworthy. We found ourselves in, in other people that we worship. Uh, uh, we have found them to be worth our worship and all of this idolatry paul says is still romans one all this idolatry exchanging god for ourselves exchanging truth for a lie it is an assault on the creator and it sounds something like you haven't made us or it sounds like you shouldn't have made us this way it sounds like i'll make you pay for making us this way by replacing you with me now, I made reference to this at the beginning of, of the Roman series, which it, it's, it's so long ago. You, you, this is going to sound new. But this, you all remember the story of Frankenstein and his monster? And, and you've got to remember Frankenstein, that's not the name of the monster. The name Frankenstein is the name of the scientist who created the monster. But today everyone thinks Frankenstein, that that's the name of the monster, which in and of itself, that in itself, that historical development of, his, of mistaken identity actually illustrates the point of the whole story, the point of the illustration of the whole story itself, that the monster has taken the identity of the creator. So that's interesting. Uh, Frankenstein is is this novel uh, by Mary Shelley, uh, published in 1818. It's about this young scientist, Victor uh, Frankenstein, creates, he brings to life this man-like monster that eventually turns on his creator. And, and we just got to say up front, Victor Frankenstein, is, and he's ambitious, he is prideful, he is obsessed. He is not all-powerful and good. And when his creation comes to life, he hates it. He's repulsed by it, and he abandons it. Okay, that's Victor Frankenstein and his creation, but that's how we think about our creator with his creation. Like we, it's, it's so easy to fall in this temptation and think we think God has made a mistake in making us the way he has made us. 
And so we think he's abandoned us. Like, we didn't abandon him. He's abandoned us. And like Frankenstein's monster, we launch an assault on our creator and, and on any who are friends with him. It, here's, here's this first exchange between Frankenstein and his monster. I just I cannot, if you've not read this novel, go read this novel, the writing of Mary Shelley. It's genius. It's unbelievable. Here, this is the first exchange between Frankenstein and his monster. This is after the monster has just murdered Frankenstein's brother. He says this, all men hate the wretched. How then must I be hated, who am miserable beyond all living things? Yet you, my creator, detest and spurn me, thy creature to whom thou art bound by ties only dissoluble by the annihilation of one of us. You purpose to kill me. How dare you sport thus with life? Do your duty towards me, and I will do mine towards you and the rest of mankind. If you will comply with my conditions, I will leave them and you at peace. But if you refuse, I will glut the maw of death until it be satiated with the blood of your remaining friends. It's chilling. But doesn't, like, that's chilling. That's awful. Does that not resonate with what's inside of us? Our lives have not turned out the way we think they should. God has made mistakes with us. And the only relationship the only relationship the world that Christians even struggle with, that, we're, that the only relationship we're really willing to entertain now with God is one where he does what we tell him to do. Give me this and that, and God, you and I will be okay. Don't give me what I demand. This isn't going to work. I'll forget you, curse you. At the climax, Frankenstein the scientist he's made this promise to the monster but he breaks his promise to give the monster a bride all the monster wants is a companion and he frankenstein says sure and then he breaks his promise he destroys the bride and he he uh and the monster responds in rage saying this to his creator it says slave i before reasoned with you but you have proved yourself unworthy of my condescension remember that i have power you believe yourself miserable, but I can make you so wretched that the light of day will be hateful to you. You are my creator, but I am your master. Obey. This is the problem uh, that we're facing. This problem of idolatry, the created taking power from their creator. And this is how we, this, 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 this you know, perverse tale uh, is how we think. This is the, yeah, this is our relationship. This thing of the created taking power from the creator, it is in all of us. And you can see this. You can see this even on the micro level uh, of parents and their children. Because children, children want to be in charge of their parents. And parents, they demand honor from their children. And you see this playing out on that stage. Or, or just the younger generation taking power from the older generation in society. Or uh, this is... This is the alarm that so many are, are warning uh, with artificial intelligence. This thing where AI, our creation, is going to turn on us. And that'll be the end. We create, we create these things to prove our power, but then we're in danger of those creations usurping that power from us. It's what we've done with God himself. God created us. We say, God created us to prove his power, but we've turned on him because he's failed us. He's turned on us. He's not to be trusted. He's to be overcome. He's to be usurped. He's to be replaced 
with us. We're the gods now. This is the struggle for the world. This is the struggle of those even in the church. I've been corresponding with one of my professors from seminary who I've actually gotten to know much better since my, my seminary days. This is an Old Testament professor who taught everything from uh, courses on Old Testament prophets. He's written a commentary on Ecclesiastes, which is forthcoming. Uh, he, he taught ancient Semitic languages like Ugaritic. Um, okay, so I asked him what he thought the challenge facing the church was today. Like, what's the, ch- what's the challenge facing the church today? And he began by responding, saying, I- I'm not the one to talk about the challenges facing the church. I've always been in academic circles and aware of unsatisfactory doctrinal positions of church leaders, which is a serious problem. Then he kind of goes off on that. But then thankfully he does respond and he, and he says this. He says, it is difficult to understand why things occur as they do and why people think or behave the way they do at an individual level. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in control and can be trusted no matter what the circumstances, as difficult as that is to do. That is the challenge for pastors personally as well as for congregational members. And only the Lord's wisdom and strength can meet the challenge. Paul, at the end of Romans, he answers this problem of idolatry, this problem of idolatry by praising God. Praising God as the strengthening God, which doesn't sound like a big deal uh, to the young. It doesn't sound like a big deal to the prosperous, the successful, but to the older, to those who have gone through trials and suffering, uh, to the more frail and, and sad, it does sound like a big deal. That God is the strengthening God. And then to all of us, it's this question of like how many super beautiful people, how many super educated people, how many super omnicompetent people do we, do we have to see succumb to their own insecurities and fear and totally burn out? Like how, 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 many, how many of our heroes who we worship do we have to see fall before we believe that strength does not come from us? Because it's really easy to think. I'm pointing at myself. It's really easy to think, I'm going to find the right news source, uh, whether it's Twitter or it's podcast or it's Wall Street Journal or it's The Economist or whatever. I'm, I'm going to read the right books and I'm going to keep educating myself. Uh, and whatever, whatever the latest study tells me to eat, apparently red meat is back on the menu and ice cream is back on the menu. I'm not your dietitian, but that's just, you know, there's stuff that's out there, okay? And, and, and then I, so I'm going to eat the right stuff and I'm going to hydrate too and I'm going to sleep. I'm going to get the sleep I need, and then I'm going to get sunlight in my eyes the first thing in the morning to, to spike my cortisol, and I'll lift, and I'll train for marathons, and I'll invest in cold plunge, and, and, and I'm going to be strong. And then, not have strength. You know, there's this faulty premise that God does not want us to suffer. And that's just not true. God does not promise you a life with no suffering. Christians suffer like everyone else. We get tired, we get hungry, sick, hurt, we've broken relationships, we get lonely, we get depressed. Like everyone else, we suffer that same old, same old too. And in becoming a Christian, you take on more suffering. You take on suffering that the world does not take on. And being a Christian, you suffer for Christ now. You take up your cross as a Christian. Every time you choose not to indulge in your temptations, that's suffering. 
When you forego your rights, someone insults you and you bless them. Someone hurts you and you forgive them. That is absorbing the cost. That is suffering. When you serve someone not to get anything else from it, but you serve in order for the good of the other person, that, that is suffering. When you give of your money freely to, to charities, you know, to, you know, being philanthropic, when you give your money freely to the church to proclaim the gospel, that's money you could spend on yourself. That's suffering. When you share the gospel, when you claim your identity as a Christian in the world, even in this city, that's going to cost you. That's suffering. And so, and so, question raised, so where is God strengthening in our weakness and in our suffering? And it's this. Paul says it right here in this doxology. It is God giving you faith in Jesus in the midst of your suffering and sustaining you in faith in Jesus. He says, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ to bring about the obedience of faith. God's strengthening, it does not, it, that doesn't mean you're going to look like Superman. God's strengthening of us doesn't mean we're going to look like the super Christian who has it all together and everything is awesome. It's not getting all of your prayers answered. It's not success in your job and your marriage and your family and your dating life and your relationships with your kids as a parent, with your kids' success in their lives and their relationships. The strengthening of God in your life is that in the midst of whatever it is you are going through, you're still here with other Christians loving and worshiping Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was this man named Isaiah. As a prophet, God miraculously brings Isaiah into heaven. Isaiah sees God sitting on his throne in heaven. He sees the majesty of God, the beauty of God, the holiness of God, and he's totally undone by it. He feels like he's totally coming apart in the presence of the sheer glory of God. And God looks to him, promises him, tells him that he loves Isaiah, that he wants Isaiah with him in his presence. And then God turns to the heavenly court and he says, I have a job. I need someone to go preach to a group of people and tell them about me. But here's the catch. No one's going to listen. No one's going to believe this messenger. And Isaiah immediately stands up and says, me, send me, I'll do it. And it's like, why, why would you volunteer for that? Because this is worship. When Isaiah sees the worth of God and how much God loves Isaiah, he is strengthened. I've got God. What more, what more do I need? What else could I want? I've got everything. I, I, I'll put everything into you because I've got you. And I know your worth. In the New Testament, there was this guy named Stephen. He was a deacon in the early church. So he was one of the leaders who helped take care of the physical needs of the church. And this is right at the beginning of the church when it was really, really dangerous to be in the church, to be a part of the church. And the religious leaders are about to put Stephen to death. The Jewish religious leaders are about to stone Stephen for being a Christian. And they ask him if he's got any last words. And he takes this last chance to tell them about the love and the grace of Jesus. And then he begins to worship. And he says this, I see God sitting on his throne and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God and they stone him and they kill him as he's worshiping. 
at the moment, the only thing, at that moment, the only thing God was requiring of Stephen was his life. And Stephen was strengthened to lay it down. God says to Isaiah, I want you to invest in a career that's going to be another failure. God says to Stephen, I want you to die a bloody, painful death. And they look back at God and they say, yeah, I'll do it. You're worth it. And Isaiah and Stephen and Paul, they were not superhuman. They were creatures like us, strengthened by their creator through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are many, many creatures in this world we struggle with this temptation too who say Jesus is weak. The world says Jesus is weak. The world sees a pitiful man. Maybe he was a liar. Maybe he was a con artist. Maybe he was misunderstood. Either way, there's a poor Jew who had 15 minutes of fame. He was bigger than, you know, than life. Then discredited and tortured. Weak an embarrassing mockery of a person crucified, hanging shamefully, naked on a Roman cross. What a waste. 2,000 years later, it's what a joke, even if he was real. And then what's weaker than the church? The world looks at the church. What's weaker than the church with your prayer and your songs and pouring water on adults and babies and you know nibbling on tasteless bread and little sips of wine? Your worship, your Bible, and your preaching of the gospel, we, we are a stench in, in the nose of the world. We, we are. We're, we're offensive. Claiming Jesus which is what we're claiming Jesus is the only way to live forever. It's an offense to those who claim to be their own gods. The world says Jesus and his church are weak, but the truth is Jesus became weak for us to save us who are weak. That Jesus, our God, this is the truth. Jesus, our God, is in absolute control. His power and strength are absolute. And He wields that strength to lay down His life willingly in order to die for enemies. For the sins of a people who are too weak to save themselves in order to make them His people and sustain them as His people to the very end, which is His glory. Eternal glory. You know, the world says, you worship a crucified Savior. And we respond, we, we worship a crucified and risen Savior. And the challenge for us is to, trust, is to trust that gospel again today and tomorrow and the next day. To trust to trust it for ourselves individually. To trust it as the only power of salvation for each other here. To not compromise it. To hold it out to each other as the only power of salvation for those here and for anyone who would believe it even for those who are currently rejecting it today, and to hold it out to them graciously. And loved ones, only God's wisdom and strength can meet that challenge. So, turn to Jesus again today and see Him worthy and keep worshiping. Let's pray. Father, we will end the way we began in praise, the depths, oh the depths 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are your judgments, how inscrutable are your ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Lord, from you, through you, to you are all things. To you be glory forever, we pray. Amen.